There's two things I think that the readings really focus on today, and it's power and discipleship. And they go together. If you want power, you have to be a disciple, and if you are a disciple, you will have power. And really, I think, maybe sadly, they're the two greatest things that are lacking in the Catholic Church in the modern day and age. So first power, Jesus uses that Greek word I've, I've told you before, which is dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. So I'm going to clothe you in dynamite. When people meet a Christian, they should encounter a power. They should experience something different about a Christian. And do people experience that with you? Because I think the disciples at that point were like, yeah, like, Go, Jesus, take over the world. This is great. When are you going to establish the kingdom now that you're the king of kings? And Jesus gives the complete opposite answer. Don't worry about the kingdom. Go. Get to work. Do something. Change the world. And I'll be with you. Way too often I think that we want other people to change the world, not us. We want God to do everything. Jesus fixed this. Jesus fixed that. But what are you and I willing to change? And why does it have to be this way? Why does he want to use us who are so flawed? Why is that? And I think, I don't know, I prayed about this. Because God could have done it any way he wanted. But he chose to make us players in this game of life. And I think it's because we have a God of relationship. We're, remember, we're creating the image and likeness of God. God is a trinity, three persons, subsisting in love. He's an eternal relationship. He constantly gives and he constantly receives. It's a constant, I think this is a word, reciprocation of love. And if we're creating the image, his image and likeness, he expects the same from us. He's done something for us. We in turn do something for him. Not because of obligation, because of love. We should want to do something great for him. He wants us to be part of the plan. We have a whole arsenal of dynamite at our disposal. And I think the sad thing is, is the bulk of Catholics never even light the fuse of a single stick. In the book by C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory, great book, if you haven't read it, read it. He says this, it would, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. We are far too easily pleased. Leon Bloy, the French author, once wrote, the only sadness, the only great tragedy in this life is not to become a saint. But here's the catch. To go out and make disciples and be saints that will change the world, we first must be disciples. In Christianity, to be a leader, you must first be a follower. And a disciple, I don't know if you know this, disciples didn't do what you guys are doing. Okay? You're not disciples of Father Walls. You're disciples of Jesus. They didn't just show up on Saturday at the synagogue, the Shabbat, and listen to the rabbi teach. That didn't make you a disciple. What made you a disciple is you left everything. Your home, your family, your job, your 
aspirations. You left it all and you followed the rabbi. That's what a disciple was in the ancient world. They said that a saying in ancient Israel, a true disciple would be covered with the dust of the rabbi at the end of the day. What does that mean? You were so close to the rabbi, following him so closely that the dust from his feet was all over you. Are you and I following Jesus that closely? Because here's the deal. He says we're supposed to have power to pick up serpents, to drink poison and be fine, to lay hands on the sick and heal them. I'm sitting back and I'm like, where are the signs and wonders? It's not like the the, the stuff we read in the scriptures was confined to the first hundred years of Christianity. It's throughout our history. But as faith dies, so do signs and wonders. You remember when Jesus goes to Nazareth and he says he he couldn't work any miracles in Nazareth because of their lack of faith. Signs and wonders are meant to accompany discipleship. And the reason I think that we don't have a lot of them in our day and age is because we're not covered in the dust of Jesus at the end of every day. We're covered in the dust of someone else. There's a lot of disciples in the world. They just don't belong to Jesus. And there's a lot of power in the world. But it isn't for the good. I want to give you two examples of discipleship that I experienced in my life. One good, one bad. We'll start with the bad. So about 10 years ago, I don't know, maybe maybe I told you this story, but about 10 years ago, I was up at my brother's and I was helping out for Easter. He had sent his associates home. And I was vocation director, so I didn't have a parish. So I was up there. I became a really good friend of the family up there that he was really good friends with. They came over after the Easter vigil and we're having a scotch celebrating the resurrection. And he says, they, they say to us, fathers, we got you a present. An Easter present. I'm like, sweet. I'm like, well, what is it? And they're like, open it up. It was an envelope. And I open it up. It's two tickets, third row to John Bon Jovi. You guys, I was so jacked. I flippin' love Bon Jovi. He is the rocker of all rockers in the 80s as far as I'm concerned. And now I have tickets, third row, and I'm like, this is awesome! And then I'm like, but I'm a priest. I wonder if priests go to Bon Jovi concerts. And I was like, you know what? John Bon Jovi needs ministry just as much as anybody else. So I am going, and I'm going to sacrifice and minister to John Bon Jovi. So I'm at this show, and standing next to me is this woman, and she is straight out of the 80s. Like, you know those people that get stuck in a decade? You know, you got the 60s, they're the, the hippies, they can't get out. 70s, you know, disco forever. 80s. This woman had the big hair. I mean, jean jacket. It was awesome. And she had a shirt on that said, been, she made it. It said, been with you since 83. And I'm like, this is a real-life disciple of John Bon Jovi. Like, I am standing right next to her. And she knew the words to every song. And that we were in a place, and there was this big ark, and he would walk out on the ark and play certain songs. Well, he was playing uh, Bed of Roses, I think. And as he's walking, she, like, touches his leg and starts weeping. And I'm like, look. I mean, I like John Bon Jovi. Okay, But I was like, woman, get a hold of yourself. (laughs) He's just a man. He's just a rocker for crying out loud. But here's the deal. 
That show had power, you guys. I, I could not believe it. It was, it was amazing. And this guy, he was 50. He's past his prime. Okay, sorry for those of you that are 50, but you, you are past your prime, okay? I'm 41, and I think I'm, I'm pretty darn close to past my prime. But he comes out at 50 years old. And he stands on stage and it is deafening in this arena. You cannot hear. And then he does, for like 30 seconds, he just stands there, looks around. And then he looks and all he does is this. He just shakes his head and it gets like 10 times louder. And like, boom, the music hits and it is out of control. And I'm like, just, I'm like, this is power. It's not like modern music, right? He had no theatrics. It was all music. Modern music is terrible. And they have to have theatrics. People swinging from the roof. Fire going up all over the place. Big screens with shows going on. Because the music's so awful that they have to put on a theater to keep the people entertained. But not John Bon Jovi. But here's the problem. Did I have a good time? Yes. Was it full of power? Yes. But at the end of that show, I walked out and I was like, God, what's next? It had no lasting effect. What did Bon Jovi do for the world that night? Entertain for an hour and a half? Let people get drunk for an hour and a half? Let people dance and forget about their problems for an hour and a half. But nothing more. That's worldly power. Second example. I met John Paul II. I was a glutton for meeting John Paul II. I met him five times. I was very blessed. And every time I met him, there was a power that flowed from that man that was overcoming like when you met him, you just wept because there was something emanating from him. And this was the thing. It wasn't like worldly power where like, you're like, oh, you know, it was or fear or trepidation because of this powerful man. It was a power that lifted you up, a power that made you want to be better, want to love more, want to give more. And you knew it wasn't his. You knew it wasn't his. He was a true disciple, and you could feel the power coming from him. A French atheist who turned Catholic at the election of John Paul II, he wrote, he said, this Pope is not from Poland, he's from Galilee. And what he meant by that is, this man is an intimate friend of Jesus. He doesn't just know about Jesus, he knows Jesus. For John Paul II, Jesus Christ is the answer to everything his power did good for the world. I mean, for crying out loud, it literally brought down communism. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I will clothe you with power, and you will be my disciples and witnesses to the world. That power is open to everybody in this church. It's not just for popes. It's not just for the, the apostles. It's not just for the early church. It's here. It's available. 
But are we all in? I remember Archbishop Fulton Sheen, and I'm, I, I just don't quite have his voice. I wish I had his voice, but I don't have it. <clears throat> but he had this, this talk, and he gave this talk, and he was talking to a group of priests, like 500 priests. And he said to him, he said, you have come here to listen to me. And why? Why do you want to listen to me? I'll tell you why. Because I'm powerful. I'm more powerful than all of you. And I'm powerful because I pray. That's the best I can do. But that's just how you have I pray. What made Archbishop Fulton Sheen a powerful speaker? God was flowing through him. Why did people flock to see him? Because there was something about his message that just wanted you to be better. To do something more. Why did people come to John Paul II? Because God flowed in and through him. He was a conduit of grace. And that is for all of us. You know, I, was, I talked to an exorcist last year and he said, John Paul II is second to the Blessed Virgin Mary. In the rite of exorcism is the second most powerful saint to be invoked. Then he said, during a rite one time, they asked a demon, why? Why are you so terrified of that man? And they said, two reasons. One, he ruined the greatest plan we ever came up with, presumably communism. And second, no one has taken more young people away from us than that hateful pope. That's power. He had power in this life. He has power in the next. Everyone in this church has an arsenal of power to ignite the world with the love of Christ. But are you truly going to live it? Are you going to be a disciple? Are you going to be all in, covered with the dust of the Son of God at the end of your day? Or are you following someone else? He tells us himself, you can only serve one master. And so today on the Feast of the Ascension, I think he forces the question, who will you serve?